started a new series last week that's kind of our vision cast for the year we called The Table. And we talked last week about the most famous table in the world, which is the Lord's Table. And we came and we shared communion together. And we talked about how uh, God calls each one of us to come to His table. And this morning I want to continue that theme about the table. There's so many aspects in the kingdom of God that we see revealed in this simple piece of furniture called the table. I mean, you can look this morning, uh, the furniture we've got, maybe in the balcony you may have a little bit harder time of seeing it. But the table's absolutely universal. In all time periods of history, and all cultures, there's some even a campfire, uh, maybe this table on this side that looks like something you would think of in Jesus' time. This is a table that you would see represented in Eastern cultures, uh, and also in that part of the world, oftentimes a carpet is a table. People will gather and sit on the carpet, flat on the ground, and that's the table that they share with food. This is a table you might see at Starbucks or Kingwood Joe's <laughs> or something like that. This is a table that looks similar to the one that you might have uh, in your breakfast area or in your kitchen or dining room at home. But the table's universal. It connects family and it makes strangers friends. And last week we started by talking about how God calls us to come to the table. This week I want to extend that series and talk about how God calls each of us to compel other people to come to the table. To bring people to the table who are away from God. A modern word that we use for that thought would be invitation. <coughs> the word invitation. I can remember when Stacy and I were first married, it was our first year of, um, of marriage, and I was finishing school, she had already graduated a year ahead of me, uh, first because she's just smarter than I am, but second because she's older than me and, and I don't ever let her forget that, although it's nine months, but we share the same age for three months of the year. But she finished, we married, we went back, finished my last year. And there we were in a one-bedroom apartment working different jobs. And I was a full-time student. We were trying to finish. And it was our very first Valentine's uh, time together. And I was trying to figure out, man, I've, I've kind of done Valentine's when we were dating. But what do you do when you're married? You know, that's kind of, I had no idea. Valentine's. I thought, man, I, this has to be a bit, this has to be, this is our first Valentine's. I mean, this has to be. You know, I have to do this right. I can mess this up. I can mess our whole marriage up. I mean, who knows? We might divorce. I really got to get this right. So I was really stressed. And the thought occurred to me that the invitation to the date was really important. I don't know why that idea came to me. Maybe God was just trying to help me. But I thought the invitation is really a big deal. So I wrote this little short poem that was uh, filled with riddles. Uh, clues on what to do after you read the poem. So the poem would lead you to another part of the house and then you would find a clue and then it would lead you to another part of the house and you would find a clue and then it would lead her to another part of the house. And all I, I don't remember any of it. All I can remember is this one part where I had this one phrase that said, look into, uh, look into my eyes. Not my eyes, my eyes. So she went to the ice tray and I'd frozen in one of the ice trays a little clue to where the next step would be. And, and as she was doing all of that in the house, I was gone. And then she found the last clue that was a, a hint 
to meet me at our favorite restaurant. And so we went there, and she pulled up, and she got out of the car. She was all giggling and happy. You know, oh, yay, it went well. I did good, apparently. She was all excited, and we ate there. And it was just a fantastic night. Come on, ladies. Help. It's a great time. Yes. Come on. If, if I must humiliate myself, the least you could do is... And so one of the things I learned in that experience is how important an invitation is. And you know, Jesus was really good with invitations. He was good with giving them, and he was good with accepting them, and he made a point to regularly share the table with people, all kinds of people, and that's really what got him in trouble. Not so surprisingly, Jesus' favorite way to bring people to the table was to share a table with people who weren't Christians. Now, if that's confusing, let me say it this way. For Jesus, the table was both a destination and a method. Jesus would bring a relationship, uh, build a relationship with a non-Christian by sharing food with them. He would use that relationship as a way to bring people to faith. Now, inside uh, your chair, when you came in this morning, we just had a little card that said the table. And in that card, uh, it says compelled to the table, and there's just blanks. What I want you to do for the next few minutes as I'm sharing this uh, message with you is I want you to pray and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see who it is in your life, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, around you that doesn't know God, is far from God, is disconnected from His church family, who He's leading you to compel to the table. Who is he leading you to bring to the table? And we'll talk about that at the end this morning. It was this regular sharing of meals with outsiders that caused the Pharisees to call Jesus the friend of sinners. Now, that was no term of affection. Trust me. It was an indictment. And we see one of those occasions in Luke chapter 5, 27, where Jesus was eating with people who weren't religious who weren't Jews, or, or who, probably many of who were Jews, but who weren't in the religious establishment. They were outsiders. They were not following the right way. They were not church people. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. You see where the table is? And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, these people are unclean. They don't follow the right way. They don't know the truth. They don't have a relationship with God. Why do you eat with them? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, the problem here is not that there was a party. The Pharisees believed that God's kingdom would be a party. So, so the problem is not that there was a party. The Pharisees' problem with it was the invitation list, the guest list, who was invited. They thought only the righteous, only the pure, only church people should be invited to this meal to sit 
with teachers and rabbis and religious people and all of that. So we all understand how uh, in your face that it was for Jesus to sit at a table and share a meal with a tax collector. Let me give you a little background on tax collectors. Tax collectors in this day were thieves. They used their position to cheat people. They were sellouts. They worked for the enemy who was Rome. Now the Romans had held the Jews under all types of oppression, so to side with them was to be a traitor to your own people. And what's worse than that is to make money while doing it and rip your own people off. That was unforgivable. They would collect taxes from the Jews. They would give it to the Romans. The Romans would give them a kickback off of everything they turned in. And so they were actually making money off their own people working for the enemy. Now the Jews were looking for the day when God would defeat the Romans and reestablish his kingdom in Israel. So it wasn't Jews versus Romans, it was God versus Romans. That's how they thought about it. And the tax collectors had chosen their side. They weren't on God's side, they were on the Roman side. They were traitors to the nation and they were traitors to God. And they were God's enemies. So here you have Jesus eating with God's enemies. And not just one of them. Did you see what it said in verse uh, 29? Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors were there. Levi seems to have had a life-changing experience and an encounter with God. And he gets up and starts to follow Christ. And then in honor of Jesus, he throws this big banquet. Now, being a tax collector, guess who all his friends were? They weren't normal Jews. They were tax collectors. So this is a large crowd of Levi's friends, tax collectors. This is like a dinner party for the mafia. That's what it is. And Jesus is there sitting in the middle of them singing Kumbaya. And the Pharisees look at this with such displeasure. It's more than they can take. And they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' answer is profound. He said, because it's the sick that need a doctor, not the well. So why wouldn't I eat with them? And by the way, your assumption in your uh, charge is that you're not one of them. And by the way, you are. You're sick too, and you also need a doctor. And it's the same doctor. <clears throat> Maybe you caught this... Uh, story. There was a huge controversy about a year or two ago that sparked a, a, around Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A uh, has been a public, publicly stated Christian organization and so they've always made a stand that was pro-marriage in the face of the gay community who were debating for legalized gay marriage and still are all over the country. And this uh, conflict between Chick-fil-A's values and uh, gay organizations kind of reached a, 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 a climax a couple of years ago. And so Dan Cathy's the president of Chick-fil-A and his support and stance were, of course, public knowledge. And that's why what I'm about to tell you is going to shock you. Dan Cathy personally called Shane Winmeyer the leader and founder of a group called Campus Pride. Now, Shane Winmeyer is a 40-year-old uh, um, man 
who's been in an 18-year relationship with another gay man. And he founded Campus Pride. Campus Pride is the leading organization in our nation that uh, reaches out to encourage gay, lesbian, uh, transsexual, college-age students. And so you can imagine the shock when Dan Cathy, the president of Chick-fil-A, called uh, this man. On August 10th, 2012, in the heat of the controversy, Dan called Shane, and the phone call lasted for more than an hour. The call turned into other calls, turned into text messages. Those uh, built momentum and gave way to public meetings, or private meetings, I should say, in-person meetings. And it was awkward at times when you read the article you hear, but it was always genuine. The two men exchanged respectful dialogue for many, many months. And Dan Cathy wanted to know about Shane's life. He asked about his childhood. He asked about his faith. He asked about his occupation. He asked about his family. And he, he shared with Shane how his desire was not to be just a Christian. His desire was to be a Christ follower. And that's where his values came from. So how did the story end up? It ended up in a way you can't possibly imagine. At the 2012 Chick-fil-A Bowl in Atlanta, Georgia. On the sideline at the football game that most of us probably watched at least on TV. Stood Dan Cathy and his wife and his family and his friends and guess who? Shane Winmeyer. All watching the game. And by the way, that was a game that Campus Pride had targeted to protest. But here you have Dan Cathy in the middle of this great big football party. And who does he invite to the table? Shane Winmeyer. Now, neither of those men have backed down on their values. Neither of those guys have backed up. But when I thought about what Dan Cathy did in inviting Shane to sit at the table with him, to eat with him, to spend time with him, to spend time with his family, I said, there's something about that that reminds me of what Jesus did and how the people around him must have felt when he said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, you have to search your own heart and your own emotions when I share that story. And you have to figure out, what all does that mean? Incidentally, as a postscript, I still remember what I was doing in the middle of that controversy. I went with my Christian friends to Chick-fil-A to eat to support Chick-fil-A's cause. No doubt, on that day, Dan Cathy was a much bigger Christian than I was. On that day, Dan Cathy acted more like Jesus, and I acted more like a Pharisee. I ate with the people who already believed the way that I did. Dan Cathy reached out to people who didn't believe in Jesus at all. Now think about that. Pretty powerful thought, isn't it? Why a table? Why did Jesus use a table? Why does Jesus encourage us to welcome, to invite, to make a space for People who, some people may say, are enemies of God. 
In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, the Bible says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And since he came eating and drinking at the table, they say, boy, they are always into it, aren't they? You know what they say. Who are they? Who are they, they these people? They say. I'm glad to know that they didn't just exist now. They existed then too. And they say, since Jesus came eating and drinking with the wrong kind of people, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. The table was Jesus' method, and Jesus used the table as a bridge to other people's heart. We've defined the table in this series as making space for the Holy Spirit to work. Space has to be made somehow, somewhere. I was reminded as I was thinking about this message and what I would share with you today about a story that happened in our church of a man who reached out to another man that he didn't know, who wasn't, wasn't a Christian, and the man in our church invited him to a table. And that table ended up being a bridge to his heart that changed his life. Now, I want to share their story with you this morning. We've got a video. Some of you have already seen it. For those of you who have already seen it, what I want you to look for as you listen to it again is I want you to look for where do I see the table show up in this story. For those of you who have never heard it, Wow, it will bless you, encourage you, and it'll move you. And you can also look for the table. Take a listen to Stephen and Michael's story. Well, I'd say it was probably about October of 2011, and I was walking to work as, as I did every day. And I was driving up Highway 31 and, and noticed a guy walking on the side of the road, and he was dressed to the tee, had, you know, pressed pants and, and tie and the briefcase. And I kind of thought, well, you know, I should probably stop. And for some reason, I talked myself out of it, you know, how we all go through the excuses. Uh, it was a period of, of weeks where every day I passed by him and he was still walking and I always felt impressed upon me that I should stop and at least give him a ride. For several days, possibly weeks, he had noticed me walking on the side of the road and was having this internal debate about do I stop and you know offer this guy a ride, do I, do I not stop and... So finally one day I talked myself into stopping and picking him up and uh, stopped and he got in the car Finally, he decided that he would stop and give me a ride and explained, uh, you know, I, I appeared to be harmless enough. So I felt pretty safe about picking him up after seeing him for so many days and, you know, dressed so nice. I didn't think he was an axe murderer or anything. I said, well, that's great. And I said, you just don't know what I might happen to have in my briefcase. And we both burst out laughing. And right at that point, I, I think that the, we, we made a connection. Found out he didn't have a car, and that's why he'd been walking. He had just moved from Atlanta a few years ago, uh, and um, it was in kind of a bad situation, you know, personally in his life, and, and worked about a half mile or a mile up the road from where he lived. He dropped me off at the office and said, look, you know, anytime I see you out there, I'll, I'll, I'll stop and give you a lift. And I said, thanks a lot. And uh, 
over the next few weeks there were several days where he stopped and, and drove me to the office. And This went on for a few weeks where I would stop every day and pick him up and take him. We would talk a little bit, uh, not a lot of time, probably only about three to maybe five minutes before we got to my office. And we could never get past surface issues you know, in that conversation because there just was not enough time. So I had an idea, I thought maybe I'll you know, go out to dinner with him, we can you know, get to know each other a little bit better. We ended up at a Chinese restaurant one night but I just kept feeling impressed by God that there's something that he needs to hear from me. There was something more to this than just someone who maybe felt bad that I was walking down the side of the road to work and, and was, was offering me a ride. So um, there was something about Stephen. There was this, this I don't know, this, this sense of peace that just there was something about him that, that really jumped out at me. So. Throughout dinner, we, we got to talking about each other's history and our lives, and, and I told him, you know, uh, a little bit about where I grew up, and he told me the same. He asked me the question, why did you stop to pick me up? Why are you taking me to dinner? I don't understand. You know, at the same time, I'm, I'm wondering, I, you know, I wonder what his reasons are for stopping and picking me up. I told him about my dad's testimony, uh, how he had overcome alcoholism with God's help, and, and I said, I don't know why. I don't know what God wants to do in your life. I said, but I just know God's telling me that he wants to do something. And Stephen mentioned, he said, listen, he said, uh, you know, uh, I was wondering, uh, you know, if, if, you'd, uh, if you'd like to, to go to church. And I thought to myself, uh-oh, there it is, church. Okay, that's, that's, that's the reason. So I, I agreed to go. So the next opportunity came, uh, he, I picked him up for church and, and he came and you know, I'm looking at all these people around me, raising their, raising their hands and all this other stuff going, okay, and wasn't quite sure what to make out of all of that. Uh, you know. It was kind of wide-eyed, <laughs> but he, he said there was just something different about it. I really felt a strong connection uh, to, the, to the church. Uh, I looked forward to being here every Sunday. When it came time for the newcomer's lunch, uh, Stephen said that he would go with me and uh, we went to the newcomer's lunch and I had a chance to meet the pastors and uh, some other folks that were relatively new like myself. From there, uh, I moved on to KLA. When I was done with that, I went into the, the life streams. I now am attending a life group as well as the uh, Monday night Bible study. He, he jumped in and even started uh, doing the parking lot serving, you know, just greeting people in the parking lot and everything, and was really trying to get plugged in uh, over the period of the past year and a half. I have seen such a tremendous change in him. The change in my life is amazing. I, I don't even have the words to really fully describe the changes. It really scares me to think what would happen if I really would have talked myself out of not stopping to pick him up because that opportunity could have been totally gone. I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful uh, to Stephen for having made that decision to stop and pick me up to invest his time in a perfect stranger and to reach out to me as he did as everyone else here at Kingwood has done and I look around and this is my family this is where I belong and here's a guy who's changed who's plugged in and growing and God is speaking to him and speaking through him to his son 
and mending relationships in his life. And it, it wasn't because of me. It was because I was just willing to do what God told me to do. And that, to me, is just so incredible. Uh, I'm so thankful to everyone uh, and, and so grateful and am looking forward as I continue to grow uh, and in my walk with God. And uh, just, I can't say enough about happy I am uh, to be here and everything uh, that, that I've gotten out of this experience and, and what I'm looking forward to uh, as, as, we, as I move forward. in that story Stephen said I, I invited him to dinner I invited him to dinner and we found ourselves at a Chinese restaurant sitting and talking and at the table comes out why, why, why are you giving me a ride why did you do this why did you invite me to dinner why what is this about this table is a powerful symbol that says a lot of things. Last week we talked about Jesus' invitation to us to come to the table. And this week I'm just sharing with you how Jesus calls us to compel other people, to bring other people to the table. By and large, Jesus was crucified not so much for his working of miracles and teaching, but because he accepted the wrong kind of people. And he welcomed those people that religious people rejected. And Jesus was crucified. It's a powerful thought to think because of what he did at the table. Where he ate and who he ate with. The Bible says he was the friend of sinners. That's what the Pharisees called him. I wonder if our church has that reputation. I wonder if Kingwood is known. I mean, if you're known for the same thing Jesus is known for, you can't be going wrong, right? I wonder if our church is known as the friend of sinners. I guess the only way to find out would be to find some legalistic people and ask them. Because that's who labeled Jesus, right? That's where the label comes from. I want our church to have that reputation. A friend of the unchurched, a friend of the unreligious person, friend of the non-spiritual person. See, our goal is not to be a fad church or to be the in church or to be the fastest growing church. But I think it would be great if we were known as a missional church. In other words, we were a church that was on Jesus' mission. The church that was doing what Jesus would do if he were here in person. I think that would be incredible. Did you know that our county, Shelby County, is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama? A smaller percentage of people in our county go to church than any county in this state. So when Jesus said, the harvest is ripe, it really applies to where we live. Out of the 200,000 people that live in Shelby County, about 160,000 of them are not in a worship service this morning, are not connected to a local church in a meaningful way. This county needs a church that's on Jesus' mission who is a friend of sinners. And I, I, my prayer is and my heart is 
And as I've been asking God, I pray that we'll be that church, one of those churches. Now, the question is, how are we going to do that? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts, and we're going to close and pray. We're going to continue to do the big outreaches that we do. Why do we do Celebrate America and Trunk or Treat? And it is a way to set a community-wide table and say, this church isn't here for itself. We don't exist just for the people that already go here. We don't exist for this property or for this building. We exist. God put this church in this city for this city. And so we're not here to take. We're here to give. And so we're going to continue to do those big citywide outreaches like our Cinco de Mayo outreach we did last year. Celebrate America and Scrooge and the other things we do to serve and to set a table and to invite people to the table. We're going to add two or three big Sundays starting with we're going to really focus on Easter this year and I'll share with you about that in, in a minute. We're also going to experiment because the truth is I haven't heard much from anybody. Uh, I hear a lot about uh, in the church world, a lot of people will talk to you about how to make a church grow. There's a lot of conversation about that. And there's a lot of churches that have figured that out that can invite you to conferences that will tell you how to do that. What I don't hear a lot of conversation about is how do you bring an American to faith in Christ? I don't hear a lot about that. There's not many places to go to hear about that. So the truth is, I don't think the church knows. I don't think the American church, by and large, has any foggy idea how to reach out in faith, how to, how to spread the, the work of Christ, how to do that in a culture that's moved on, that isn't Christian anymore. So what I want, and I don't know either, what I want to say to you is though we're going to experiment a lot. We're going to try a lot of stuff. Just like if we were all to load up in an airplane and fly to another country in the world that we've never lived in before and God had called us to be missionaries in that culture and let's just say 98% of the population isn't Christian, how would we reach that population? We'd have to try a lot of stuff, <laughs> right? And we, we would have to intensely, in prayer, follow the Holy Spirit who knows all things. And so I just want to say to you, we're going to try some stuff. We're going to try to start a small group this year, a couple small groups. Pastor Benny is going to start a couple small groups that uh, welcome and invite people who don't have faith in Christ to be part of the group. And we'll see how that works. Now here's the other thing that you and, you and I can do this morning, and this is where we'll close, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to ask you to focus with us on Easter service. Did you hear what Stephen did? Inside your uh, uh, bulletin this morning, we put a thing called Go Local. <clears throat> what we mean by that is, this is the way to do the mission of Christ local. The way we do it global is we send missionaries. And we pray for them and we support them and we send missions teams to stand alongside them and do construction and service projects and ministry and help. But how do we do that here? The way we do that here, is the thing we're going to focus on from now to Easter is Easter. And so what we've said from the beginning of this fast and this 21 days of prayer, we cannot spend the entire 21 days of prayer just on ourselves. 
We have to spend it on people who don't yet know God. Some of it. And so what we've said from the beginning is, in your 21 days of prayer, start now praying for somebody. Start now asking God to share with you somebody. A relative, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. He knows who he's working on. Like Michael. I ran into Michael in the floor this morning. And he told me, he said, if I could tell you the ways that God had worked in my life up before I even met Stephen. The things he had done. God's out there (laughs) working and preparing people. And we don't know who. But the Holy Spirit will lead us to who. What I'm asking for you to do in this 21 days of prayer is ask the Holy Spirit who. And then pray for that person every day. And in your life groups, take these cards to your life group. Take those names and as a life group, gather around. And every Sunday between now and Easter, pray for that person. And then in February, that's January. In February, I just want you to serve that person somehow with an act of kindness. In Stephen's story, what he did as he was praying and the Holy Spirit was stirring him, he just said, I'll give you, I'll give you a ride. So he gave him a ride. So somehow in February, just reach out with an act of kindness. With no expectation of anything in return. In March, share the table with the person you've been reaching out to. That could be a cup of coffee. It could be a snack at break at work. It could be a lunch. It could be a dinner. It could be a breakfast. It could be share something at the table. In April, invite that person to Easter service. And let's just believe that God has an entire county of Michaels out there who he's been working on who are ready for a breakthrough and God is going to give it to them. I've I, I got to be honest with you. My whole world is here at the church. I don't know very many unsaved people that live around here. But I have, through, through somebody who goes to our church, I've been connected to a family that's in deep crisis who's one of their children was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes. And um, I texted a little bit to the dad and just said, hey, so-and-so told me, and uh, I'm just letting you know I'm here, and if there's a way we can help, we'll be glad to encourage you and help. We've done this for a long time, and uh, maybe it'd be encouraging to talk to somebody. And just open the door. This family, that's one of their crises. This family has many crises. I have no idea what will happen. I don't know. But the door opened. And so I'm going to pray for them for 21 days. And I'm going to keep texting. And I'm going to keep reaching out. I'm going to keep talking. And I'm going to try to see if there's not a way we can meet somewhere and just talk with no agenda. Just share, build a relationship. In the background, I'm just going to be asking God, I don't know. I don't know what will happen. Nothing might happen. I don't know. But if you believe God loves people, then you believe he's working on them before we get there. Yes? And so we can join together and we can see God do something incredible. I want you to stand with me and we're going to close. I know I've held you a few minutes this morning, but I think it's so critical that you and I learn that the table is for us, but it's not for us alone. The table is for us, but it's not just for us.
And so this morning, the worship team is going to sing that song that is the theme for our fast, Place Called Grace. And last week as we sang it, we saw the place of grace as a place Jesus had prepared for us, and He has. But this morning as we sing it, I want you to see the place of grace as a place that Jesus has prepared for somebody who doesn't know Him yet. And what I want to ask you to do is I want you to do one of two things. I want you to write that name, that name that you know, that name that you've heard. Maybe the Holy Spirit's just brought it in your mind. I want you to write that name, and I want you to just come, and I want you to set it on one of these tables. And as you come, I want you to pray and just say, God, by faith I believe that you love this person. By faith I believe that you died for this person. By faith I believe you're working in their life this morning. By faith I believe that a miracle is coming to this family. And I, I'm going to believe you for it. Maybe you say, no name comes to my mind. Then what I want you to do is bring the card with no name on it. And I want you to come and set it on the table. And I just want you to say, Lord, by faith I believe that you're going to open my eyes. You're going to open a door. You're going to open a relationship. By faith this morning I believe that you're going to bring somebody into my life that you're working on, that you've called me to reach out to. By faith you're going to do that. You know, in uh, soak at the beginning of last year, 2013, the message was so clear to us that God was teaching us how to love each other. I wonder if He did that so we could practice on each other so after a year of learning how to love each other, we could love those who don't know Him yet. I don't know. Lord, this morning, You've set a table and we surrender to it. We worship You and we love You. Lord, lead us into Your kingdom for Your glory. As the worship team begins to sing, you just come in faith and lay your card down.